Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to Dunked on Prime. I am Daniel LaRue, your host, alongside Nikias Duncan for this episode. And Nikias and I are going to do a podcast that Nate and I really enjoy. And now that we've been doing it long enough that we can go back and evaluate it. And that's the crystal ball. And so for those of you who are unfamiliar with it, what we do is we, we kind of imagine ourselves two years from now. So this is not super far out. This isn't five years. This isn't anything like that. It's two years. So around the end of the regular season in the 23-24, so two full seasons from now, and working through who's going to be good, who's not going to be good, how is the league going to evolve. Nikias, how did you enjoy this as a first-time experience? Um, Define enjoy, I guess, is where I started <laughs> first. I absolutely love the concept. It's like, okay, cool. I get to put my future hat on. Like, I've played enough 2K to try to sort this kind of thing out. Like, this is fun. And then you actually do it. And it's like, oh, right. It's not enough to say, oh, this player might be better than this one. It's going to be, okay, this guy might be in this context. This guy might be up in fantasy in a year or two. This guy might get traded. That could boost some stuff. This team has injury concerns. Like, it's just... I understand why y'all enjoy it, and I think I still ultimately land on this is fun, but this was also work. Oh, for sure. And I think the part of it that's really useful is to think about how players and teams evolve. And so, I mean, well, because we'll talk about best teams and worst teams and individual players as well. And so, like, part of it for me is just thinking about, okay, well, where is the league going to be? And I think that's kind of the place to start is the NBA right now has a lot of very good players in their early to mid 30s. And so you think about two years isn't that long a time. But when we're talking about the 23-24 season, this will use basketball reference ages. It's the easiest shorthand. It's not exact. It's their age on February 1st of that league year. But it's a good enough proxy, and it means that it's a level playing field for everybody. So, you know, right now, Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant are and DeRozan and Jimmy Butler, you know, those guys are 33, 32, but mm-hmm. they're going to be shifting in a couple of years. And so Steph and Durant, age 35 season, DeRozan and Jimmy Butler and James Harden, age 34 season, LeBron, 39. And so the passing of the torch, you know, maybe those guys are better at 35 than most. We The track record there is not phenomenal, but it's a different league now. Guys are taking better care of the body and generally speaking, shooting ages better. So we're going to have to see on kind of that upper end, we have these guys that have been holding on that have been really, really good for a long time now. How how are they going to look in a couple of years? And it's a hard question to answer. It's nearly impossible to answer. Like all I can really do is, again, look at what's already happened. Um, and with some of the injury cases, and we'll get into this when we get into the all NBA teams, but I'm kind of factoring in, all right, if this guy is having some injury stuff now, a couple of years from now, it's probably going to be a little bit worse. And so that's kind of factoring in. So where I feel like I have some players that aren't going to be as good as some of the guys I'm leaving off, but I just don't know what their availability is going to be in two years. Exactly. And that is a challenge to navigate. And then kind of if you move down the, the age range, the rising 
group of, you know, Giannis and Jokic and Embiid, those guys that are still, depending on how their individual primes work, but they're still, you know, early, early to, I'm sorry, mid to late 20s. This is actually going to be really interesting for them because now you're getting into Giannis' age 29 season, Jokic is 28, and B 29. Carl Anthony Towns, if you want to include him here, he's going to be 28. And so that group is maybe they're not going to be significantly better than they are now. That's going to be an open question about kind of the the arc of it. But it's reasonable to expect that health permitting, and that's a big caveat, those mm-hmm. guys are going to be about the same level. And that's what I find really exciting was there was this point when Nate and I did this a couple of years ago, where I was like, wow, how's this going to work? You know, you have these, these really good players that are in their primes now that are going to be post prime. And then you have and then you don't really have this strong group. And what happened was those players really stepped up. I mean, Giannis has won two MVPs, Jokic has won one, and Embiid is firmly in the mix this year. And if they can stay healthy, those guys could keep running this stuff, at least as regular season players and hopefully as playoff players, too. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, that's also kind of the hidden fun of this kind of exercise is trying to pinpoint, okay, which young guy is going to pop and kind of fill the void is like if we feel like uh, LeBron's going to age out as he nears 40, like which young Ford is going to be the one that steps up and takes the all NBA reigns. Like, that's a lot of fun for me. Exactly. And the other kind of part of this, you can think of current young guys like John Morant and Trey, and so they're going to be closer to their primes. The expectation should be that they'll be better than they are right now. And also, when because we're going to focus on All-NBA consideration for individual players here, generally speaking, not exclusively, that's really early for somebody who's either not yet in the league or barely in the league to have made it. Now, John Morant, third year, so the equivalent there would be, theoretically, maybe somebody like Mobley or Cade can make Mm -hmm. a step into that. But generally speaking, it takes guys a little longer. Primes are... I believe the general consensus now is 26 to 28. So there's sort of still well pre-prime, but of course players can be there. But it's like Victor Wembanyama, if you're an optimist there, or Chad or any of the other guys in the 2022 class, probably mm-hmm. a little bit early for them. But the guys who were that two years ago, we've already seen some of them really rise up. Yeah, like I think we're seeing now, especially with with what we've seen from Job, what we've seen from Trey, what we've seen from Luca, um, and even Tatum, that these younger guys are taking the reins a little bit earlier than expected. So it won't be a surprise, as much of a surprise as it would be in years past, to see like a second year or third year guy make that leap. Absolutely. I think I think that's a really good point. So we can move into all NBA with the field is open. I produced a list before we did this of kind of like a lot of guys that I consider contenders for age. I think it's often easier to do this by position group. So Nikias, I'm going to give you the choice. Which group do you do you think was the most interesting for you to work through kind of like how you think the all NBA picture is going to look in a couple of years? Um, I think the guard room is the most interesting one. Like one, there's just a lot of young talent there. Yes. And then beyond that, I'm also looking at some of the guys who are in their prime or about to age out if you're talking about like 26 to 28 being their prime. And they're also like prime trade candidates. Like I look at what what is Bradley Beal going to look like in two years? Because if he's out of Washington and again, we don't know what that situation is. I could see him maintaining like the same production, but then he just gets the winner boost since he's on the playoff team, and then he's right back into running for it. Or sure. a guy on sure. the yeah on the lower on the lower part of the age scale, like if Shea Gilgis Alexander gets traded to a good team, like he's already an All NBA caliber talent. If he gets to a winning situation, does he get that kind of similar boost? 
Right. There's a lot there. And then the other part that was hard for me is generally, I generally like to do this in terms of like would deserve it rather than like the kind of credit that they're going to get, but both are valid exercises to do. But for me, the one that was challenging on top of everything you mentioned, which I wholeheartedly agree with, is squaring up the primary ball handler versus secondary stuff. And so you think about a player like Devin Booker, who is, of course, firmly in this conversation. Nate and I talked about him for 10 best players in the league and everything else. And his role will be different on the Suns. I mean, Chris Paul is going to be at a very different point in his career then. He'll be 30, that'll be his age 38 season. So where will the Suns be? We'll get into that in the team section. And then for Donovan Mitchell, I mean, we're already seeing the murmurs, if not even outright just screams about what Utah might be doing is that maybe Donovan Mitchell is more in line with the Luca Trey model of a, a more heliocentric player, whether that's in Salt Lake City or elsewhere. I think it'll still be in Salt Lake City at that point, but it might be more his show than it has been up to now. So you're not only thinking about, well, how good is this player going to be? It's what is their opportunity going to be? So for players mm-hmm. like Mitchell and Zach Levine with the aging of DeMar DeRozan, like these guys are going to be in a different place, even if they're on the same team with a similar roster. Yeah, I think that's a really good point there. Um, and I'm also glad you mentioned Phoenix. I'm gonna, not going to say too much right now, but Phoenix was a team that I went back and forth on in terms their future uh, projection yes i had i had a lot of a lot of challenges with them as well and okay so let's start at the top who do you think who who did you put as your 22 23 first team guards um i landed with luka Doncic, and i have trey young i ended with luka and jaw but trey was my number three and i mean the the jaw trey arguments are existing now they're only going to continue and Mm. I've done this soliloquy a bunch. Do you want to was was that kind of your choice as well? Or did you have somebody else in as kind of your third spot? Um, I think it's those are kind of my three with Devin Booker also making a strong case. And again, sure, we'll get to Phoenix a little bit later. But that's kind of where I was like, if we want to talk about this year, like it feels like what Trey Young is doing offensively has been undersold a little bit mm-hmm. like he has just from a pure counting stats perspective he has put himself in nate archibald territory like he may be the second guy to ever lead the nba in total points and assists in the same season and we can talk about you know some of the limitations of like a heliocentric style but that is insane production like you have to be good enough to carry that kind of workload and for him to do that have a true shooting percentage over 60 it's insane what he's doing and i i'm kind of projecting one he's going to get better like he's going to get better in the intermediate area and that's kind of all he really needs at this point because you know what he brings as a pull-up shooter um he's a solid finisher he gets to the free throw free throw line a ton um he's one of the best passers in the sport so if he becomes more um efficient with floaters or with short pull-ups there really isn't going to be an answer for him there's barely an answer for him right now and if the team grows around him we talked about this on the young core episode like atlanta has a lot of interesting young talent if they are able to stay healthy and gel if they progress like I think they will be, I think Atlanta's going to be towards the top of the conference in a couple of years. That's a great point. And for Ja, I think the reason why I had him higher, I agree with you. Like what Trey is doing this year is phenomenal and underappreciated. And I will say I haven't done my full awards ballot, but the possibility of Trey Young not making any all NBA team is completely ludicrous. When yeah. you look at what the Hawks the Hawks are doing well and what they're doing poorly. What they're doing well is basically everything involving Trey Young. What they're doing poorly involves him too. I mean, he's a part of their defensive struggles, but mm-hmm. that's a different part of the story. It would be ridiculous for him to not be among the six best guards, especially when you consider how some of the other like, you know, candidates have been less available and everything else. 
So, yeah, I mean, Luca Jaw Trey to me is the top, and we shouldn't short shrift Luca because, I mean, that'll be his age 24 season. He's been one of the league's best offensive players for the last couple of years and has continued to improve. I think that's an important part of this story is that I, I think there is a distinct possibility, this will come up in another section we'll do in a second, that Luca is the best player in the world two years from now. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, he's very much on that trajectory. Like, you'll have to see, because again, like, as you mentioned earlier, Jokic isn't going to be out of his prime. Giannis won't be either. But Luka's very much going to be in that conversation. Like, he's already knocking on the door that from what we've seen from him since his cold start. So if you want to look at 22 onward, how many players have been better than him in this calendar year? Three, maybe? Maybe not even that many. And Luka, also, we have the evidence he's not going to be driving a successful defense, but that he can be part of one. And that's an important argument for him kind of if it's Luca versus Trey the kind of defensive element matters it's not the only thing and they're both wonderful offensive players but Luca also and this isn't rigidly in the all-nba conversation but I think he will continue to grow as a playoff performer and he will undoubtedly because it's going to happen this year unless heaven forbid he gets hurt he's going to face a more favorable matchup than he has with the Clippers the last two years and so that isn't rigidly a part of this because how you do in the playoffs isn't regular season performance and but and credentials and all that do matter but i have it there and i agree with you that oh and so i should explain for job or trey for me that's it's more physical potential the idea that maybe there's just another gear for john morant that trey can't hit and it's reasonable to say a jaw's not going to do that or b trey young is so good even if jaw hits that it's not guaranteed that he's higher and so to me but it's a close a close close fight between those three and like you i had devin booker for i think he's knocking on the door continue to improve in time and by this juncture booker will have a larger role within the sun's offense so maybe that gives him the opportunity to break through into that top three i think that's fair if i can ask you a quick question um when you say there may be another physical leap for jaw like what would that look like for you well he's he's so dominant as a kind of as an athlete getting to the basket even more finishing a little bit better so if you look at it for jaw this year 71 percent at the rim and it's 33 percent of his shots if he can get that even a little bit higher, get to the free throw line a little bit more, I think that's a possibility for him. And also the ability to be, become, and he's already this, but to become even more of a force in transition and to be a better defender. Like that's, it's a very basic thing. I'd mm-hmm. also love to see Jaw. It's funny, hearkening back to Trey. I'd love to see his floater get a little bit more reliable, and that's not quite the same thing. But to have that kind of counter, like so, Trey's you know been around the forty-five range, and Jaw's getting closer to that. But he's this is the best year that his floater has ever been. So can he establish kind of that? And so if you can get that baseline and build, kind of build this up, because if it gets to the point that Jaw's basically unguardable, the other way that you can see that is better shots for his teammates. And so it's not all just, oh, if he's shooting 73% around the basket and 70 point, instead of 70.5, there, there is a point there, and it's been interesting. I don't, I don't know if Derrick Rose is a completely, completely apt comparison. I, I worry about their falls the same way, but everything else. But that degree of undeniability could put in in a different category. Just like if Trey's jump shot is as completely ridiculous as it's been at times this year. We talked about, I mean, that logo three that he hit in the game against the Raps. Mm-hmm. It, he has an element of that too. It's not. I'm going to drive by you every single time, but the craft and everything else. I got you. Like, I feel like I'm glad you brought up the point about John the finishing. Like, I think that's going to be an interesting needle for him to thread with. He can't with the amount of times he attacks the basket. Like he can get to the free throw line more, but also 
it's been at least a little nagging thing, like earlier in his career, not so more so this year, but just the way that he lands and kind of the, you hold your breath a little bit, hoping that he stays healthy and that thing. And so he needs that floater to kind of counteract that so he doesn't take as many blows, um, at right. least throughout the regular season. So I wonder how he's going to balance going to the floater more and making that more consistent and also getting downhill and get to the free throw line more. We both have Booker as the number four. That leads to absolute chaos is probably the best way to put it for those last two guard spots. I'll go through some of the potential players. So you have the aging stars like Curry, Damian Lillard, age 33, Kyrie Irving, age 31. I brought up Chris Paul and James Harden before. And then you have this army of young guards, including... Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland and Jamal Murray, Shea, Jalen Green, depending on how you want to count Cade as a two or a three, you can go in any different direction there. And all the other guys who are maybe a little further down right now, but could make a rise. I mean, we saw what Tyrese Maxey's done. I mean, we could throw out a a billion different guys there. Yes, I would once again like to say this was a... It's a bit of a challenge, I would say. It broke my brain a little bit, so thank you for this. You're welcome. (laughs) Goodness. Uh, do you want to go or do you want me to go? I can go. Uh, so th- there, are, there are a bunch of different people. And if I wanted to say the honorable mentions, it would take almost as long to do as the rest of this podcast. I ended up choosing my number five was Donovan Mitchell. And Mitchell, part of that is something I alluded to before of the possibility that the Jazz just look like a very different team and that he has the opportunity to shine. But also he has been really good over the course of this year. And yes, the Jazz have some crunch time and bowling lead concerns and everything else like that. But I I really like the what what he has done so far. And Mitchell, the jump from 25 to 28 could be really interesting for him just in terms of improvement. And can he, can he, is the jump shot growth that we've seen this year if that's for fully real and everything else like i had mitchell five and then the sixth spot was just a total crapshoot and i kind of went with the guy that i like the most right now and that's darius garland garland a key offensive player for the Cavs. he can work on ball he can work off ball so that means if cleveland changes around their talent i don't really expect them to dramatically if they change it around he can work with that and I really like the building blocks there. And and also the difference between like Garland, I considered, you know, like I considered a billion guys, but like Jamal Murray was one and Anthony Edwards, I consider pretty seriously. And part of what makes the Garland case easier is that we know we have clear idea of what his role is. And Jamal Murray is probably going to be the second best player on the Nuggets. And that's a good place to be. But Darius Garland being the offensive linchpin for the Cavaliers, that's a different role. That's a different set of responsibilities. And so generally speaking, what I think is going to happen there is it's going to be somebody who's asked to do a lot and does a lot. And I went with Garland, though, I, as, as mentioned, considered a billion guys. Yeah, uh, I like those picks. Let me start there. Um, just the sheer volume of guard talent. Like, I don't think there's a wrong answer here. Honestly, um, that's the fun and also the frustrating part of this. Um, for my 13 guards, um, I kind of went of the mind that these are guys that are going to get traded and be in better situations. Sure. Um, I say last hurrah for Dame. Um, I just don't see him in Portland in two years. Mm-hmm. I could totally be wrong on that. But if he's somewhere else and he's also just healthier than what we've seen this year, like he's still going to be able to be an offense onto himself. What he does as a pull-up shooter unlocks everything else. The playmaking has improved. The finishing has improved. So I think that kind of renaissance is there for him. And I'm still very high on Shea Gildas-Alexander. Sure. Like I don't think people truly understand just how good he is. The numbers that he's been able to put up with an inconsistent jump shot and also operating in a phone booth in OKC. 
And he's still the NBA's, if he's not the best driver in the NBA, he's at least the most unique driver in the NBA. And he does it with volume. He does it with efficiency. The passing on drives has improved. And I think you get him in a better offensive context, if it's heliocentric or not, like I feel like he can just kind of explode as an offensive player. I really like the Shea pick and Gildas Alexander growing so much last year in particular as a pick and roll operator is going to work so well for him once the Thunder have better talent or he's on another team with better talent. Mm -hmm. And so... I I think that he has a reasonable case. And with Lillard, this came up. Nate and I were doing top 10 players and our point guard rankings. I think it was more relevant than top 10 players. And the level that Damian Lillard played at last year in 2020-21, what, you know, like if what he did was that and then a slight amount of age-related regression, he would be in this group. And that's why I think it's completely reasonable. I I mean, Lillard's last healthy season was at a level that very few guys are reaching this year because he was Mm -hmm. that good. And so, yeah, I would expect that a player in his, Lillard, that'll be his age 33 season, that we will have seen some passage of That'll be three years, basically, at this point from his last good he will hopefully have healthy years between now and then but mm. he is a totally worthy inclusion I, I i think of him as my hardest cut it was it was harder for me to have lillard out than curry because while curry has been a better player overall the last two years 35 is getting up there to be a to be a high impact guard and curry stamina and everything else like he could be in this mix and i think he will have some really strong games but the history of guards you know aging past 34 let's say it can it can be dicey for them even though chris paul and john stockton and others have done it yeah but like even with paul and stockton both of those guys were more table setters they could score when necessary but you look at what steph does at his age now and it's a lot of body blows doesn't you know not a high volume driver like a shea gilders alexander someone like that but just the volume of screens that he sets and that's gonna weigh on you and then on the other end teams try to run him through a bunch of actions to try to tire him out so i could see him being you know all nba caliber but only playing 55 60 games just because they want to kind of maintenance things and if you get growth from elsewhere on the roster if andrew wiggins is still there if jonathan kaminga or moses moody take leaps over the next couple of years if they have more of an offensive role if they're still running things through draymond in the high post so you don't have curry operating like a heliocentric guy like i could see him being good enough to make a team but just not making it because of the numbers Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And now Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because 
you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? Like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside and things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us we can jump to the forward line and the challenge to me here is in some ways similar to the guard line but it's how do you balance the aging of the current class Giannis excluded because he's younger than a lot of those guys versus some of the guys that are coming up and so that'll be Kawhi's age 32 season Durant's age 35 season Paul George 33 so AD 30 so you could see a lot of players there just not quite at the same level that they were before but then you have young guys of course coming up so I'll let you talk first first team forwards uh first team was pretty easy for me uh Jason Tatum and Giannis are my two forwards uh, where yeah okay I, I thought that's that's honestly the easiest part of the list for, for me same here and I Giannis he's already this level of player the the sales pitch is that he even if he's basically the same player or even slightly worse than he is right now he's first team all NBA like that's just that's how good Giannis is right now Tatum has continued to take strides forward he has been a part of successful offenses and defenses a lot during his career. He's continuing to take on more responsibilities and doing well with that. And the jump from age 23 to age 25 could be very good for him. I'm encouraged by what he has done so far. And then the other part of it for me is just his capability to take on a lot compared to where I think... So my next group, my my second team is Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant. 
those guys in their 30s, 32, and 35 respectively, they're just not going to be putting on the accelerator. And you could, there is still a distinct chance that either one of them is a superior playoff player, but the odds that they have that sort of impact in the regular season is lower. Yeah, I think that's a totally fair point. Uh, I'm interested to see where you landed with Anthony Davis on this list while we're talking about the forwards. He's on my third team. AD, okay. uh, again, full strength AD could potentially be higher. He was the best playoff defender at, as we're recording this podcast less than two years ago, and mm. that is not lost on me. AD will be 30 at that point, so it's not an ancient thing for him. But my concerns are how does his defensive game age a little bit because being an unbelievably kind of like agile player for his size I mean and this this will come up eventually with Bam thankfully probably years from now how is that part of it going to age he will probably become a less versatile defender in time that's okay it's just the way things are and then at that point Davis is a more dependent offensive player and my instinct is that the Lakers will be a more limited team in terms of creators that will be LeBron's age 39 season and if AD is best when someone is setting him up. Who is going to be setting him up at that level? If It'll be LeBron for part of it, in all likelihood, assuming he resigns. But it will not be the LeBron that was the his compadre on the 2020 championship team. Mm-hmm. I got you. Like, I was just trying to balance what you said in terms of his availability, what that's going to look like, and also just who's going to be setting him up. Um, I kind of landed on... LeBron still being there, but LeBron also taking a back seat and, as we've seen this year, kind of sitting out some games because mm-hmm. some things are starting to linger with him. So I feel like both of those guys will be Lakers, and I think AD will be the lone Laker rep on an All-NBA team. And then once the playoffs hits, like, again, it's, you're probably going to have more faith in LeBron in that setting still than Anthony Davis. But I think he'll be able to take on a little bit more of an offensive role um, if the Lakers are in playoff contention. Um, I would assume the roster is going to be built a little bit better than it was this year. The bar seems to be pretty low on that front. It does. So if they could just get a cohesive unit, that's the thing. Like you can deal with limited if you just have smarter role players around than what the construct was this year. Like they should be in a pretty good spot. Does that mean you add Davis on your second team? Um, I do have Davis on my second team. And who's with him? him and Ke- I have him and Kevin Durant. Okay. I think as we've seen this year, like KD's missed some time, but like when he's on the floor, he just the fact that he could just shoot over anyone whenever he wants to. Like, I'm just not super worried about how he's going to age. Like, it's just going to boil down to, will he be on the court? Because if he's on the court, he's an automatic 25 points, I feel like. Um, Like, even if it turns into, it won't be a one-to-one comparison, but even if it turns into a Chris Paul ordeal to where he doesn't get to the rim as much, he can just sprinkle in turnaround jumpers. He can get into pull-ups. If you switch against him, he can just pull right up over you. Like, he's just going to be that kind of guy. And he's smart enough as a defender, and we've seen this a lot this year, that what he does as a health defender goes underrated, too. Sure. just the sheer length and also just knowing where to be, being able to time that out, being able to contest that the rim. Like, I think he works as a helper in a drop scheme. He works as a guy that can peel over in a switching screen like Brooklyn's running right now. And even as he ages out, just that sheer length and IQ, I think, will hold up pretty well for him. Another component for me of having Durant on the second team, it, you, you brought this up in terms of like if he loses a half step, he's still an unbelievable player offensively. And the gamer we did yesterday, we talked about those screens that the Nets were setting with guards and it's kind of a dia- like a, a, a diagonal sideways action to get Durant the ball. Mm-hmm. If he's a little bit slower, then maybe that gets slightly easier to defend, but you're still not going to do it. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's not, it's not going to be there. And Durant could be a less impactful regular season guy. That's why I don't have him first team. But I I think that his his game, and there's no player right now for me in the NBA that I'm more interested in what his game is going to look like two years from now than Kevin Durant, just because we've never seen a player quite like him. 
And so how does that work? Like we're going to be pushing a lot of frontiers with Durant. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he loves the game enough. I think he wants to keep doing it. And I mean, I think back to that stuff that Kobe said years ago about how it's not the level that you can get back to. It's how much work it takes to get there. I think Kevin Durant's going to want to do that. So mm-hmm. maybe not at 39, but at 35, I still think he will. I, I think that the Nets will be a relevant team. There's no guarantee that any current net will be there, including Kevin Durant, even though they're under contracts. But we'll have to see. Uh, where did you have Kawhi? Um, I did not have Kawhi on my teams. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's, again, it's more so about availability than talent. Sure. Um, I don't think his game is super predicated on athleticism. Like, he can kind of rise up, get to his spots whenever he wants to. Like, the defense will probably slip from all defense level when locked in to all very good defense when locked in. It, it, it arguably is already there in the regular season. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I don't think he's going to have that buffer going for him in terms of, like, all NBA voting. But then he'll still be one of those guys where if he's upright in in a playoff series where you're having at least one day off after every game, like, you're still not going to want to take more than six or seven players above him. But just for regular season awards, like, I don't think he's going to be in the mix like that. That's fair. Who do you have on your third team, then? Third team, I have Zion Williamson and I have Bam Adebayo. Oh, so you have Bam at the you have Bam at the four. Okay, I, I can I can respect that. He defends everyone, so you can you can have him there. I had Zion on my third team as well. And again, this is this is a hope that he will be healthier. But the player that Zion was last year was good enough to be in this conversation. And going from age twenty to age twenty three, generally speaking, even if Zion's prime is earlier than most guys, it's still going to be you know it's still going to be in the forefront rather than in the rearview mirror. Yeah, I think so. Like, and I, this is what makes the roster construction in new orleans right now even more interesting yeah i i think that's definitely true um so zion i mean and, and the idea that he can be a high volume high efficiency offensive engine at power forward that's not something that we see all the time and it's an incredibly valuable thing yeah it'd be great if he was a little bit better defensively but he's a dominant offensive player and so for me that's what separates him from some of the other guys that i really like Paul George and Jalen Brown and Evan Mobley, who could all be playing at this level at that at that point, but won't have the same burden on them. And generally, that's what it takes to really get to this level. I got you. Uh, can I ask you a LeBron question real quick? Of course. Um, one, like, even beyond like how available he's going to be and stuff, what position is LeBron going to be in two years? I think he'll still be a four. And LeBron, he just doesn't have... I don't think he has the motivation, well, however you want to define it, to play center a lot. Like, I think you can go to LeBron at the five. We've also seen how horrendous those lineups have been defensively, though. Part of that is the Lakers not having perimeter players who can actually defend. Like, that's a, a part of why those lineups have been bad. Another part of it is that LeBron isn't great in that role. So I think what you're going to want to do with him is actually pretty similar to now. There have been these comparisons for years that Le- old LeBron is just going to be like a better Carl Malone. And I, I think that's pretty apt. And so you'll want somebody who can protect the rim. And LeBron, maybe you'll go into some spots where he's like the five, but you're switching a lot if if the team that he is on has that kind of personnel. But it's far from a guarantee that he can, like, rim protect and rebound at a level that he can play the five. Okay, I think that's fair. I was just kind of thinking of it, like, as we've seen him play. Obviously, he's played both forward spots. He's been listed as a guard before because he was technically starting at point guard last year. He's played a bunch of center this year. And as he ages down, I would imagine he's going to be playing guarding down a position as he gets older. Like, would the path be there for him to be the first player to be eligible at guard forward and center? 
There is a path for it, and though if he's playing with Davis at that point, I don't think that they would list LeBron as the five. Um, Davis is still going to be jumping and doing all that. The funny thing is if the AD is still on the team, they're probably going to have somebody else too because Davis really doesn't like playing center. Maybe at that point at 30, he'll be more okay with it. Also, depending on where the position goes, and we'll get into center in just a second, maybe it gets a little bit less burly, and that is more okay with him at, at that point. For you with Bam at the forward line, was that more about wanting to include another center or was that thinking of Bam as a forward? Um, It's more of the, I think it's more of the um, just wanting to get another center on the team. Sure. That's more of it for me. And because he switches all over the place and because of the offensive usage. And honestly, I think the Heat, we've seen inklings of it this year. Like I think in an ideal world, the Heat would want to find a big man that could space and or pass well enough to where Bam can actually be your 4-4, especially as like P.J. Tucker ages out. I think that'd be a natural spot for him. I think he'll be he'll play enough where he'll be eligible for both spots. Who were the players that were hardest for you to not have on the team at the forward spots? Um, LeBron's the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I think Kawhi and LeBron both fall under the you want them in the playoffs, but regular season they probably don't care about it too much. And PG has a little bit of that as well. Though I think if there's going to be a Clipper that makes it between him and Kawhi, it'll probably be PG. I think he'll be more available between those two. And then I also didn't know what to do with Jalen Brown. One, I didn't know whether to consider him as a guard or forward or which position he'd get more votes at. And just trying to balance that between I think Boston's going to be really freaking good. They already are. But two years from now, like I think it's going to be I think they have the opportunity to run the East if things continue to go well for them. And so that just kind of opened up Tatum and Brown making it all the time. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm just like, OK, I could see the Boston won 62 games this year. You get Tatum and Brown in versus there are Fords having a better season than Jalen Brown. I had trouble with that, too. And I've been a big fan of Jalen for years. And his, you know, the idea that the Celtics reach that next level with Tatum and Brown taking on more of the responsibilities rather than, you know, trying another Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker player like that could give a lot of a lot to both those guys. It also could to Rob Williams, who we'll talk about in just a second. So yeah, th- those are the other ones. And then Flyers on Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley, those guys have looked really like they've looked good enough as rookies that I could believe that they would be all NBA players still in their early 20s at that point. (laughs) But generally speaking, it takes a little time. And I'm projecting right now that it's going to be hard to get that this is going to be a hard field to get into that guys like Durant and Kawhi and Anthony Davis are going to age well enough that it's a higher it's a high bar not a lowered bar so it'll be hard for them but definitely possible because the growth you know at that point Mobley's going to be 22 Cade's going to be 22 they should be a lot better than than they are now yeah it might just be a situation where they're both making their first or second all-star teams by then but just not in the all-nba conversation yet totally fair I thought center was fairly straightforward partially because you're going to have a lot of the same guys still in the mix yeah I'm right with you you. like there isn't like we talked about the guards for like Steph or the fours like LeBron and KD like there isn't a center that's really ready to age out of that yet Rudy Gobert, that'll be his age 31 season. I wonder a little bit about that. But to me, the top two are likely to still be the top two, and that's Jokic and Embiid. That'll be Jokic's age 28 season, Embiid's 29. I went with Jokic over Embiid, partially because of availability and partially because Jokic has been a little bit better in my eyes this year. And so we will get a lot more information about how we feel about those players as playoff players and everything else during the next regular season. But I, I think either order is fine, but I would be surprised to have anybody over them. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I have Jokic on my first team and Embiid on my second team. You opened up another spot by putting Bam. So Bam is my third team, third team guy. Was that was that for Carl Anthony Towns? Because I'm guessing it was. 
Um, it was originally for um, DeAndre Ayton. Mm. And then I was like, wait a minute. How do I feel about Ayton versus Towns? And so I ended up going Towns. So, like, Ayton is my first cut among the center group. I just feel like the growth that I've seen from him this year, like, I think there's going to be more for him in the future. And that should be enough to... I feel like between the growth with him and also Devin Booker, that should be enough to kind of offset the decline we might see from Chris Paul. And so Phoenix will win enough to where Aiden will definitely have a case to make all NBA teams. I'm broadly in agreement there. And the other possibility, and this, so I didn't put Anthony Edwards on, on my teams, but I seriously considered him for it, is that Minnesota is more optimized. Let's put it that way at that point. And they've also had the best year in recent vintage there. I think Chris Finch is a very good coach. We'll see how the kind of the front office makes decisions from this point. Gupta hasn't had a lot of opportunities to shape this team yet, and they don't have a ton of roster flexibility. But my belief is that the Wolves will be better structured to maximize Towns should he still be there. And that's the other huge wrinkle mm-hmm. of this is that while, you know, Towns is having the best year and is under contract right now for the 23-24 season, that will that is the final year that he is currently under contract. He could agree to an extension of Minnesota, but if he indicates that he won't or something like that, 23 is probably the time that all sides involved will have to make some sort of decision. Yeah, that can make things shaky. Also, just a free agency note for I think this year, like what do you do with D'Angelo Russell's new contract? What is his market? I would be very reluctant to give him a big extension. And a part of that is because to me, the as much as I liked the Towns-Russell fit for Russell more than for Towns, I the pick and roll combination that I like best for the Wolves, and not everything has to be a high pick and roll, that's not the way the league is, is actually with Anthony Edwards. And mm-hmm. if you're going to have D'Angelo Russell, we ca- this came up a little bit when we are doing Young Cores, if you're going to have Anthony Edwards and Towns in, in this mix, and to me, they're the cornerstones, assuming they're still around, and Edwards obviously will be, then you want to kind of think about it in terms of, well, what do you want around that? And so I would be looking more for larger players, for guys that are shooters that can, you know, we want somebody who can be a secondary ball handler, but you, you go in that direction. And the other big risk with Russell, he's had a better year, but he's also been hurt a lot over the last few years of his career, is if you sign him to a contract and it becomes negative value relatively quickly, then you really can't change direction. And that's a huge problem. Oh, okay. I just, I feel like he's just so important to what they do. I, he is at the moment. That's I, I wholeheartedly yeah. agree. Yeah, like I just find it hard to envision him not being there, though I do understand the concerns with giving him the biggest venture. I'll, I'll, th- I'll throw one other thing at you. I don't know how Minnesota would use this and, you know, where Towns is and the relationships. Theoretically, let's say the Wolves let D'Angelo Russell walk. Depending on what happens with Patrick Beverly, they could have a max salary slot. And that doesn't mean they're getting a max player because you never know. But there's a lot you can do there. You could trade for guys under contract. You could do you could go in different directions. And they don't really have anybody over the next year plus that is going to cut into that too much. Beverly's the one that could. And also, I, I was bringing up the love of max slot. That was even pricing in Malik Beasley. Beasley has a team option for $16.5 million that year. So if you wanted to let him go, you could do that. So you could potentially even keep Russell and have a max slot, though I don't expect that to be the case. Ooh, if they could do that, that becomes interesting. Because I feel like of that group, like Anthony Edwards could be the draw for someone just because he's so personable. Mm-hmm. But if he develops the ways you think he will own ball, that does make Russell a little bit expendable. But also that could just make it intriguing for free to be like, OK, cool. We could just make a fearsome foursome with Russell who doesn't need the ball in his hands, but you want the ball in his hands. Anthony Edwards, if the jumper comes along, he could play on or off. 
Cat can be a dominant scorer. He also doesn't mind passing the ball. So that, that kind of slots in for a guy to come in and kind of complete things. So Minnesota's interesting. They definitely are interesting. The next big question, and I like to do this in terms of order of most likely to win MVP, but we'll start with the actual word. Who do you think, knowing what we know right now, will be the regular season MVP in 23-24? Um, I will lean, I lean Luka Doncic right now. Nice. He's my number two. Okay, who did you have up top? Giannis. And the argument for Giannis is that he proved this year that he can be the best defender on a successful defensive team with the Bucs, and he's continued to grow offensively. Giannis, it's interesting because you think about development and at you know how much is he going to improve between 27 and 29, but some of the distribution and shooting that we've seen from him over this last year, those are things that you can continue to improve on, and it seems like Giannis wants to take the time, and at that point, he's not going to have broken down too much. I could see Giannis moving into the phase more like we talked about with KD and Kawhi, where you don't want to burn the candle at both ends, and you don't want him to do all this. You're setting up the playoffs. And there's also the concern that, and this will come up later, Milwaukee is going to be a much older team at this point. Their mm. their principles are going to be well into their 30s for the most part, and they don't have a ton, Grayson Allen accepted, to really fill into those roles. Also, Grayson Allen, older than than some people would think. And so... There will be more lifting that needs to happen there, even if Drew and Chris and Brooke Lopez age well, age better than their compatriots. But I just think Giannis, at that point, I think there's still an argument that he'll be the best player in the world. Okay, I got you. I think that's with the rest of the core aging. I think that's why I kind of went a little bit lower. Mm-hmm with him on the MVP list because I could see them kind of settling into like a 47 to 50 win team that's in the three to four range during the regular season. Then they just kind of ramp up because mm-hmm. what Le- what Giannis been able to do in these regular seasons, he's dominating in like 30 or 31 minutes. So it's not even like he's actually pushing for the award like that. Right. Let's let's hear the argument for Luca. As as I said, I'm very amenable to it. I had him second. I just think what I've seen for Dallas this year, the fact that they've been able to build not just a competent defense, but a good defense. I think that's all they need to be higher up in the standings. Like, I think they're flirting with three right now. And Luka's already one of the best offensive players on on the planet. And I think he's going to get better. Like, if the jumper gets better, I don't know what you do. But even if he gets even more refined as a driver, you're not going to be able to do anything with him. Like, the lowest hanging fruit for Luka, I mentioned the jumper, the lowest hanging fruit for Luka is free throw shooting. Yep. If he gets to the line the same rate in two years, but he's a 77 or a 78% guy, he's going to be flirting with 30-point triple-doubles as a season average on a winning team with a good defense. Like, that's going to be a strong enough case in and of itself. It is. And Luka, the 22-24 to is going to be a a really good move for him. And I'm excited for where the Mavericks are going to be at that point. And again, they have more time to kind of figure some of this stuff out. They don't have a ton of players that are going to age out of their current level of performance. They have a lot of things to figure out, but but that's true of anybody else. And then outside of those, I mean, Jokic, the case is basically, well, he's playing at that level right now. He'll be 28 then. There's no reason to think that'll be dropped off. And the other reason why, if I was thinking of us in terms of more like best regular season player in the league rather than who will actually win the award, that's just for me, I think that's a healthier way to do it, right. is that this will come up very, very soon. I think the Nuggets are going to be unbelievably good that year. So if it was just who is most likely to actually win the award, Jokic would probably be actually number two for me, maybe even number, actually, he's probably be number one just mm-hmm. because this this kind of cribbing into the next thing we're going to do i think the nuggets are going to be great okay i definitely understand the argument anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time 
to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace using our capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Yeah, And and then my last two that I said, like, were worthy of serious consideration. Joel Embiid, again, already, already at this level, I'm worried about availability. But then the guy I have above him, so kind of in my four slot, and we didn't give limitations on how far he would go, was Jason Tatum. The idea that yeah. if he continues to improve, if the Celtics are that good, then he's in this conversation. I got you. Tatum was actually number two for me. Wow. I respect that. Yep. I had. To, I just, I really think the Jays plus Boston, with the defense infrastructure that they have, like, I think they're really positioned well moving forward. Um, I had the, <clears throat> I had him beat six. Okay. I had Ja five because I'm pretty high on this Memphis group. Like they've blown my expectations out of the water this year. The group is young. Um, I can't remember who wrote the report. Uh, I can't remember who wrote the column for ESPN, but their owner seems willing to spend too. So yeah, it was Windhorst. Um, okay, there we go. So I'm not super worried about them retaining the young guys that they have either. And so I think the Grizzlies are going to be mainstays at the top of the conference if they're healthy as well. That runs directly into the the next question. And this isn't meant to be who's going to have the best regular season record. Now we're kind of shifting more into postseason mode. I I asked for the the most likely teams to win the Western Conference. This is not to have the number one seed or anything else. It's just who do you think is most likely to make it out knowing what we know right now in 23-24? Um, the two teams that I have in the West are... The Suns and the Grizzlies are the two that I have right now. And I've been going back and forth with Phoenix because I do believe in Devin Booker, what he is right now, and he has room for growth. DeAndre Ayton, as I said, he's, I think he's going to be an all-NBA caliber center for years to come. Love what I've seen from Mikael Bridges. Cam Johnson's really good. Like They have a young enough infrastructure aside from Chris Paul to where they should be towards the top of the conference. And if Chris Paul does age well, and he takes even more of a backseat, but he's still knocked down Jefferson, still set the table, he gives that gives them that veteran verve to where they can still very much continue to get out of the West. My concern is, okay, how healthy is Paul going to be? But also, DeAndre Ayton didn't get max before the season. And so that kind of gives me pause about them paying Ayton and then also playing Cam Johnson and seeing um, what the roster is going to look like moving forward. So that's kind of where I've been back and forth with them. But if they keep the team together, I think they're still going to be up there. And then Memphis, it kind of speaks for himself. They have Ja, they have Jaron, they have Desmond Bain, a lot of young guys that I think I'm more confident that they'll keep. And I think there's just enough internal growth there to where they should be 
bum rushing teams. I ended up with the Grizzlies second for really similar rationale there. There and also the Grizzlies. This was a heavy point in our young course conversation. They're relying a lot on their really young players right now, and they're almost all at the point where you'd expect significant improvement. And something I really love about Memphis, and this is a difference with them in Phoenix, is that they have a lot more possibilities of ways to guy like guys that are already in the system that could potentially take on larger roles if necessary. So like if Brandon Clark takes a step forward or Xavier Tillman or Zaire Williams, whereas the Suns, like their best players are really, really good. And if and they don't need anything further, but if you're other than Cam Johnson, who I think it's just like Cam Johnson's going to replace Jay Crowder. I think that's that's just where this is going. Mm-hmm. It there aren't a lot of other possibilities. There aren't players that, you know, like, I'm not saying they're going, well, if something happens with Chris Paul, Landry Shamet or campaign can take that responsibility. That's just not really where they are. Also, the Suns have one of the worst owners in the league. And while James Johnson has done a very good job, the, they have enough financial commitments, as you brought up with Aiton, where Robert Sarver being cheap could lead to some real problems. And mm. even with that, and having, an, I, I'm still going to have Denver number one. And the reason why is the same right. kind of story like I talked about with the Grizzlies. They're, when healthy, which they're not right now, relying on a very young core that are also very good. And I have concerns, you know, if the, I have more confidence that the Nuggets will have the best regular season record in the West in 23-24 than that they will make it out because we still need to see Jokic as a play like as a playoff defender against high level opposition more and there are a lot of ifs here you know it's like how is Aaron Gordon going to age what is Michael Porter Jr. two years from now but that level of talent also they've broadly been pretty well run they have some other options like if Bones can take steps forward and you slide those guys into smaller roles it can help I wish they had more wing options they don't that that to me is a concern but Jokic is an absolute monster and they can get there and then the two other teams that I had in, on my list so I had the, I had the Nuggets one Grizzlies two I had the Clippers three not on the logic it's Lucy with the football with them like it's just mm-hmm. if, it, if it works it's going it's going to work because right. Kawhi and Paul George and like Balmer is also like they have this ownership advantage where yes I would be extremely encouraged if Memphis starts to spend Steve Balmer already is and if the if the Clippers are relevant they will be in that conversation I have the Suns fourth mostly because of sarver related concerns and then the number five team is the mavs because if luca is at that level then i think dallas will have enough of it figured out that they can get through i i worry a little bit if i were to say which team's placement concerns me the most my instinct is that it's actually the mavs not the suns because they have a path and maybe i'm underselling it Okay, no, I definitely understand where you're coming from with that. It feels like we have essentially the same teams. I'm a little bit higher on Phoenix because mm-hmm. um, I had the Nuggets three. Um, I had the Mavs four, so Clippers would probably slide in five for me, and yep. that's more health than talent. And if people are wondering about some of the kind of the other teams in the mix, for me, the Warriors, they're a, they're sort of like a an alternate version of the Clippers where I think they'll be a much better playoff team than regular season team, but I don't think they'll be a good enough playoff team at that juncture. I don't think the Jazz are going to look like what they look like now. And then the Wolves are intriguing, but I need to see Carl Anthony Towns as the best player in a playoff series before I am thinking that they could actually win the conference. I think they could have a very good record, um, but they're they're there. And then the young teams in the West, I don't think they're quite at that level, you know, where they, I don't, as much as I'm optimistic about where some of those teams are, and if, you know, you could listen to Young Cores to get some of those, some of those takes, there isn't anybody who in the bottom is just like, oh, they're one move away from figuring it out. It's, I think it's more like those teams are going to be in the mix three to four years from now. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. Like you keep an eye on New Orleans just because of the sheer talent they have at the very top. Yes. But there's still enough to sort through at the bottom of the roster where it's like, "Ah, I just don't know yet with them. And then beyond that, like going back to the young cores episode, like Houston has a lot of young talent that can hit, but they're a ways away from building like a contending roster. Exactly. And like for this Jalen Green at that point, he'll be 21. (laughs) So there's still there's still a long way for for all of this to go. Let's move to the East. I thought number one in the East was fairly clear cut. And then number two was insanely hard. Um, I'm right there with you. Um, Who'd you have one? Boston Celtics. Okay. We're on the same page. Boston. The biggest concern that I had for them was the possibilities of murkiness with Jalen Brown. So I brought this up with Carl Anthony Towns in their section. Brown is a pending free agent in 24, which means the decision point for him might be 2023. And whether they, like, if he's not willing to do an extension, if he really wants to be somewhere else, that is when he could push for the move. My instinct is that the Celtics are good enough now and will be good enough in 22-23 that he'll want to stick around. That is my my indication. Mm-hmm. The other component of this is that Jalen Brown is good enough and everybody knows he's good enough that if they end up having to move him, probably because he wants to be somewhere else, they're going to get a huge return. And yeah. so it's not, it's not going to be a circumstance where you're selling him for parts and I think they'll do better than, you know, if that were to come to pass, then the Spurs did for Kawhi, maybe not quite the extremes of Paul George, though there is the challenge there that if that move comes to pass, and I'm not predicting that it is, that generally speaking, you trade more developmental stuff and Brad Stevens could swap that for existing players. You know, you could go in that direction or maybe you the equivalent more of Kevin Martin in the James Harden trade, the James Harden first trade as opposed to all the other ones that have already happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a, a, a possibility. But the Celtics foundation with Tatum, Brown, Robert Williams, and having support players that are pretty well structured in there. Marcus Smart is under contract for this time. Derek White is under contract for this time. And technically speaking, so is Daniel Tice. Grant Williams will be a restricted free agent that year. So they're already good enough, and they have enough players under contract where it's not. I'm, I'm not super concerned. Yeah, like they're they're in a really good spot. I'm glad we're on the same page on Boston. And then the chaos starts. Yeah. So I went Milwaukee number two. So did I. Huh? I, well. I did not. Ex- I did not expect that. <laughs> and the reason it, it's sort of something we talked about in the earlier part is that they can ramp it up and. Milwaukee's ceiling, even if Drew Holiday, you know, age 33 season isn't quite the same player that he was Middleton age 32, that they're not quite the same players that they were now. They have a potential best player in the world, the guy that I already picked as my number one last week. And the other stuff all fits together. And and also a big part of it for me, why I went with the Bucks instead of the other teams is that I know they can play at this level. They've already established it. And a lot of the other teams, either they have established it and I worry about how they're going to age, or they haven't yet done that. Like like you could say the Hawks and the Cavs are probably in that boat where, yeah, it could work out, but we haven't seen it quite yet. Yeah, that's. I think that's a good point. Like, I just feel like Giannis knows who he is. I want to say like the Bucks know who they are. I think they understand the rough outline of who they are. Um, I just have to make sure that my frustration with them like this season and some of last postseason isn't bleeding into this because they do just <laughs> yeah. some weird things in half court sometimes. Like you just did good things three possessions in a row. Why are you doing this now? But they do understand like who they are, which is why I'm even more confident in them being able to just ramp it up. So I haven't been super bothered with like the defensive slippage this year. It was like, okay, well, they had no Brooke. They went to a new system. It was good until it wasn't. Brooke comes back. Now they're bleeding the stuff back in. They still have Giannis. And so as they age out, add some guys, I will say like this offseason and next, like they're going 
going to have to invest in some young guys to develop at the bottom of the roster because, you know, we just did the young core episode and the list was three players. Yes. And only one of those has been in the rotation for like non-COVID reasons. So they they're do they do need to swing on some guys just to kind of supplement um, a potential Drew regression or a Chris Middleton regression. But they can wrap it up and Giannis will just be the best player in the playoff series. So I, I think they're still going to be there. Who else were you considering? That's where it really got interesting for me. I So I had four teams that I put in the considered group, and they're all, the cases for them are very different. My number three was Philly, and I felt weird about it the whole time because Embiid, we don't, I mean, he'll be very good when he plays at 29, but then Harden, who presumably will be in Philly on new contract, he'll be 34. I worry about where James Harden's going to be. But the mm-hmm. reason why I still have them there is one, Embiid can be, I think he has the potential to be that guy. The other component of it, is they have a good general manager in Daryl Morey and they have the kind of the assets, the capacity to shift things around if things aren't working. So by that point, I think they will have figured out the Tobias Harris element of this. They will have figured out how Tyrese Maxey fits in. And I trust Maury more to figure that out than any of the any of the others that are in this kind of like high-end possibility group. Okay. Um, I'm a little bit lower on Philly, but I definitely understand the case, uh, especially if they can stay healthy. Like, I'm with you. I'm a little concerned about what older James Harden's going to look like in the postseason, just the wear and tear of the regular season for him. This is why I didn't have him on one of the all-NBA teams. Like, the playmaking is going to carry. And I think even as he declines, like, he can get to a step back whenever. So if he hits at a high enough clip, that's going to be fine. But just what that's going to do for him with a 70-plus game workload, like, we'll just have to see. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Um, my number three team was Miami. Sure. Because I think, one, I'm progr- um, projecting some growth for Bam still. I think Jimmy Butler isn't going to have the kind of workload that he has now, but I think he'll still be very good. And the other thing, well, the other two things. One, Eric Spolstra and the Heat can just find guys to fill roles. And so even if they do hit some cap problems, like I trust them to be able to find role players to supplement their stars. And the other thing is the Tyler Hero chip is always going to be there for them. Mm-hmm. He either continues developing and he turns into a legit fringe all-star guard and can supplement some things for them to have court. Or Harden is going to be the Bill piece. He'll be the Donovan Mitchell piece. He could be the Shea Gildas Alexander piece. Like that possibility exists, and Miami will absolutely swing if they feel they have room to swing. So I don't think they're going to be too far out of it if they're healthy. Miami is an extremely well-run team and an extremely well-coached team. That's uh, that. That to me is the strongest part. I have them a little further back just because I'm worried about how their best players are going to age. And mm-hmm. I agree with you that they can do a, a good job finding finding guys. And Bam can take a real step forward. But that Butler age 34, Kyle Lowry age 37. 
Duncan mm-hmm. Robinson, 29. Not that he's in that same group, but it's like, you know, you're going to have to be replacing guys at a pretty rapid clip. And mm-hmm. they also, Miami, as great as Andy Ellsberg is about managing the cap, they're very financially committed to this group. And if the rest of the league sees them as negative value contracts, then it gets harder to do some of those pivots as great as they've done. So who I have above them, and I didn't feel great about either of these, so it's it's kind of a close group, are the Cavs and the Hawks. And okay. the reason why I have the Cavs over the Hawks is n- I think Atlanta will be a superior regular season team, and they already have a lot of this stuff figured out. I'm thinking of the young core. I, my basic threshold for winning the conference, which, remember, is the threshold here, is you have to be elite on one end, even against high-level opposition, and at least very good on the other. And I am not comfortable with the Hawks being a very good defense against mm. high-level opposition. They just, I don't think they have the personnel for it. And that, interestingly, I think the player who is going to be the most important to change that if it happens is Inyako Kongwu. Yeah, I fair. think that he, if he can take that step, if DeAndre Hunter can actually be on the floor, but this isn't a solely a Trey Young problem. Guard defense just isn't that important. It's, you're going to have some messes. You need to be able to clean those messes up. And there are a couple different ways you could do it. You could do it with switching. You could do it with better overall defensive personnel. And whereas the Cavs, I believe that the Cavs can, I mean, in many ways they already did, have a really good defense. And then the offense, I think a lot of that is going to be development from players that they already have. And also, they there are ways to make the 2-3 better for Cleveland than they are right now. And I wish they, I you know, I, I'm a big detractor on the Karis LeVert trade for them, but there are still options to do that. So I, I think in many ways, their, their floor is lower, their expected value might be lower in the regular season, but it's for me, it's easier to see a path that they figure their problems out than the Hawks do. Okay, I like the Cleveland pick. Um, can I throw a wrench into the equation really quickly? Of course. So using that parameter, a team that could be elite on one end and very good on the other. Um, you talked about your confidence level in Cleveland and their offense in particular and the lack of confidence for Atlanta's defense. Where does Toronto fit into this conversation? They definitely can can get consideration. Again, you know, sort of similar to the heat theory of Masai and Nick Nurse being a combination that can lift everybody. But I I don't have it with their offense. We, we talked about this a little bit with Scotty Barnes the last couple of days. And I think that at that point, you know, you're, you're gaming out, well, where is this roster going to be? And nobody has the capacity to make the sort of improvements that the Raptors will need to make to get into this conversation, the Masai Ujiri. But Van Vliet and Siakam will both be in their late 20s. Scotty Barnes will be still plenty young. OG will still be plenty young. Also, important to note here that Masai being willing to give these guys player options to basically cheaper contracts, but player options, that's the year that Gary Trent, you know, so going into the 23 offseason, the precursor to this, that's when Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Vliet have player options. Mm. So I'm not saying either of them is definitely going to leave, but it could get complicated is, is the way I want to put it, because if Van Vliet wants more money or if he wants to be in a different circumstance. So my instinct is that if this goal, if it were to predict best record or something like that, that the, the Raptors will be there. But I don't I'm not there on their offense. I would love to be wrong. I love Nick Nurse teams. I like a lot of the guys on the Raps. It's just hard for me to see where they get that. And to me, it's harder to get a great offensive engine than it is a defensive engine when your team is already good. Yeah. Okay. I got you. Anyone else that you think warrants consideration? Um, like I think you hit on everyone. The only team that wasn't mentioned that I had that I had on my list was Toronto. Like I mm-hmm. feel like they have the infrastructure there. 
And I'm pretty, especially for what I've seen this year, I'm pretty high on Scotty's offensive projection now. It's funny, I had massive concerns heading in with what he could do as a scorer, and then I thought the defense was going to be really good off rip. And that's kind of been flipped this year. Mm-hmm. But the defense has come around and the offense has continued to grow. So now I'm just like, he might just be enough of a walking mismatch to as he gets big, I mean, as he gets stronger, as he just gets better and more experienced, like he may just be able to dictate enough to make things tough for teams in the playoffs. It could be. And they're also, again, Nurse will do a lot to maximize it. And if the the other part of this is that if the Raptors, if Barnes in particular takes the steps, they will figure out the rest of this roster to accommodate. Like it's they're they're doing what they're doing right now uh, kind of out of necessity because those are the players they have and they're developing developing them really well. And, but if they need something different at center or something different at the three two, depending on how you want to see everything with Gary Trent Jr. and everything else, they can make that happen. And yeah, I think that's that's definitely fair. Most likely champion. In the 2024 playoffs, I went with the Boston Celtics. Mm. I, I I trust them more than any of those teams in the West. They have the core already. We saw their regular season ceiling during the last couple months, and I see no reason to believe that that was fluky or that it can't quite be that. And yeah, we haven't seen we haven't seen them be that kind of playoff team yet, but. I would argue that we haven't seen that fastball kind of gaming it out from anybody yet. Maybe we get that from the Grizzlies or somebody else this year. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Celtics. Uh, it's gonna be chalk here. I also have the Celtics. I'm guessing then my most likely Finals MVP was Tatum for exactly the same reason. Yep, that's it. The single hardest question in the framework that Nate and I always do with this, and some years it's kind of easy, but the single hardest one for me was actually the two worst teams. And there's a very clear reason for that right now, and that is. When I look back historically, generally speaking, the t- so you have to think about this as being kind of three seasons. It's it's two seasons on paper, but three seasons from where we are because of how you build teams. And so the idea is basically that would be a long time for the Pistons or the Magic or the Thunder or the Rockets to still be bad. By that point, whether it's due to the young players that you drafted actually being good, hello, Shagildas Alexander, hello, Cade, hello, Jalen Green, Mm -hmm. or just sheer impatience where we've been bad long enough, you can move out of the bottom two by virtue of just spending slightly more money and uh, and making moves. It's not even just like spending money in free agency. It's also making moves. Maybe you're sacrificing some of those young players to get a little bit better. That, to me makes this a lot more complicated because you're doing that. And then the other part, so like I was looking back at what I said two years ago and I had my two teams for this year were the Cavs and the Pistons. And the reason why was both of them had a lot of problems and it was very hard for them to change course. The Cavs clearly moved out of that. The Pistons are in that mix. They technically won't finish with one of the two worst records, but they were pretty close. So I'll take that as a slight W. But what what stood out to me working through this problem is that a there are no really good teams right now that it seems like they're going to go off a cliff in two years where it's just like hey, there's going to be an exodus or something like that mm-hmm. and then a lot of the teams on kind of the periphery so like that middle group let's say like the sixth to tenth twelfth best team in the conference are clearly going to go the other direction it seems like most of them their future is brighter than their present mm-hmm like it's a pretty interesting mix. Like I think, as far as the good team that fought the cliff, they weren't a good team this year. But like I think the case would be like the Lakers. Yes, would kind of be your best bet. Where it's like, okay, LeBron is aged thirty eight, thirty nine. AD's been injury prone. You just get the year where both of them miss a bunch of time. Yeah, the, La- they, the, the Lakers are actually my number two. Okay, and and the reason, the other reason why 
is they're, they have been extremely poorly run, and I have no reason to believe that that is going to change. Mm-hmm. Also, the Lakers, what they have in, in connection to that Pistons team going back to 2020 was there aren't a lot of ways for them to improve. The Lakers, another team, we brought this up with the Bucks, were deep, deep low in, in young core rankings. And congratulations, you're also losing your pick this year. You have no salary flexibility moving forward. And LeBron James and Anthony Davis could very well still be on that team. We don't know exactly what LeBron wants. He will have been, he will have potentially been a free agent. He might extend, he might do, he could do a lot of different things between now and then. AD is already under contract, but it's extremely hard for them to improve. Now, the reason why they're not, there are a bunch of reasons why they're not number one. One of them that it seems like they want to keep trying and then the other one is that, you know, you have two players that are that good. They're players that can make everyone else better and have elevated inferior talent at other points in their careers. So that is a distinct possibility. Who else do you think is in this conversation? I'll have my, I'll, I'll mention my number one if you have them, but who else do you think is interesting here? Oh, wow. I was muted that entire time. That is wild. Oh, no worries. Okay. <laughs> Let me run. Th- I was like, man, I must have had a bad answer. Okay. <clears throat> the two teams that I had were the Thunder and the Kings. Mm-hmm. I again, I'm kind of operating under the impression that Shea is going to be out of there within the next year or two. And so that may put them in range for like a Victor who I'm extremely high on. But like looking two, three years out, like I don't think the record is going to showcase where they're going yet. And with the Kings, DeMontis Savonis is up what next offseason he could leave. And if we're talking about poorly run organizations, like I haven't seen much to have faith in with the Kings. Like I love the Davion Mitchell pick, but even that came with a, a weird process that led to them trading Tyrese Halliburton. So it's just, and I wasn't super high on that deal for Sacramento. So I could be proven wrong there, but those are kind of the two where I'm looking like, all right, I could see that more than anyone else. The Kings were my number three in part because I, I like you, I kind of worry about their foundation. Yes, Fox and Sabonis, technically those guys are both under contract for that year. Harrison Barnes is not which is a very real concern. Maybe he would extend or something else like that. Also, the Kings don't have, they don't have the organizational chops. And I mean, the defensive kind of foundation parts of this are going to be very concerning. I didn't love any candidates this year, but the one that I went with, and and I had the Thunder a little bit lower just because I don't know that their, their patience is going to be there at that juncture. You know, I, I agree with you that Shea might be somewhere else and do, and they don't have, if it's not Shea, maybe Josh Giddy becomes that guy. Maybe the guy they draft this year becomes it, but it could take them a little bit of time. My other team is San Antonio. And I felt weird about that because DeJounte Murray is still under contract and I think he's become a very good player, but my expectation is that Greg Popovich is going to be out of there. And Mm -hmm. by that point, it might even be in a couple of weeks. Like I I, I wouldn't be stunned if Greg Popovich just, we get like a little press release saying he's done and then he just rides off into the sunset. And Mm -hmm. San Antonio actually has a shockingly small number of players that are kind of locked in. And, And I like Keldon Johnson quite a bit. I like DeJounte Murray quite a bit. Jakob Pertl is actually going to be a free agent the year before we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I like Devin Vassell quite a bit. But it wouldn't stun me for San Antonio to say, okay, Popovich retired. We can take our foot off the accelerator a little bit. And if it just so happens to be right around the time, take our foot off the accelerator right around the time that Wembenyama is available, or maybe there's another guy in the next class, wouldn't it be like the Spurs to line things up to get the next guy? I did not consider this. I like this. That's that's pretty darn good. The other reason why San Antonio made it for me is that I I you know they're going to make the play in and there are plenty of reasons to think that they can be better next year 
than they were is that it wouldn't be too hard for them to change directions if that that's what they want to do. Let's say their goal is to be bad next year for 22-23. Mm-hmm. If they let Jakob Pertl go somewhere else via sign and trade or just he's an unrestricted free agent after so after next year so he, he's under contract for 22 23 but if they let him go okay you could do that you could also trade him Dejounte like that then Dejounte you can you can move him if you want to but a like as much as I like Devin Vassell and Keldon Johnson if your goal is to not maximize winning basketball games over the next two years if and they're you're giving them the reins I don't think they're going to be pushing you up in the same way that somebody like Shea would and that's actually a really good thing organizationally. I, you, of course, you'd love to have a billion young stars. But to be able to give those guys reps and not have it nuke what you're trying to do is actually pretty useful. Mm-hmm. The best of both worlds. Exactly. And so then you have one or two years where you're a little bit rougher. You get those players. You you hire a more developmental coach, somebody who can do that. But the other part of this that I'm a little bit I was I was reluctant when I said there was no clear cut team like there has been in some other years is that San Antonio when they have been down over the last 20 years it has been more situational rather than just being bad just being bad and so that can be their best player was hurt and so that's how the whole Tim Duncan thing happened or a few other times where things you haven't gone their way they haven't tried to take their foot off the accelerator too often and they are in more of a kind of a developmental phase right now and also like DeJounte Murray is a totally good player on a totally reasonable contract and they could see him as the best player on a very good Spurs team over the next couple of years so like kind of why like what is the incentive there so I don't feel great about it but I do see that and Popovich being the catalyst makes a lot of sense for me of we're just going to go in a different direction. But it also wouldn't surprise me in the least if they hire a more established coach, whether that is the rumors with Quinn Snyder or somebody else, and just say, we can get into the mix pretty quickly. We draft very well. We can do all this stuff. It wouldn't stun me that way either. Yeah, I think that's a pretty solid case. Again, like that, San Antonio felt like a team that's going to be in the play-in mix until they get their guy. But I just didn't consider like, hey, maybe they just actually take the step back. Because I, I kind of ruled that out after yeah. DeJounte made like the all-star league. I'll, I'll throw one more in there and this is another one of those I don't think it's what they're going to do right now but two years is a long time and that's the Wizards I think Bradley Beal mm-hmm. is going to resign okay. I also think there is a distinct chance that next year goes really poorly relative yeah. to their expectations and all of a sudden it's like well we can get all this stuff for him we tried it everything the the theory of how this would happen for the Wizards is the 22-23 season goes health-wise as they hoped and record-wise not as they hoped and then it's just like okay we need to we need to make this move and Kuzma and Porzingis have player options heading into that year they don't really they aren't really tethered to anybody other than Beal at that point but I'm guessing Beal will retain his value enough that if he wants to be somewhere else at that juncture they could do it yeah actually Washington might be that's probably a better pick than OKC, honestly. Like, Washington might be my number one. Like, I just completely mm-hmm. blanked them. The, yeah, the, the, the reason I didn't have them higher was also, just like Sacramento, the idea that their owner doesn't want it usually. But maybe they get to the point where he does. So we'll see what, what Ted wants at that point. I got you. Uh, if I could toss one more honorable mention out. If Orlando isn't able to figure out things, if, they, if the roster is just a bunch of interesting young guys with no cohesive plan, if no one really steps into the number one role, like, they could be bottom two. Especially if 
they haven't gotten that lead offensive player. Like the mm. the pretty good defense and bottom five offense is actually a pretty clear path to being a bad team in the in the short term. Like generally speaking, you're not going to elevate. And so if they don't get that player in the 22 draft, even if they hit in 23, which is very possible, they get somebody who I haven't seen that class well enough to know who that player could be. It's mm-hmm. still going to take them some time. Orlando does have some cap space. And, and then the other part of it is Orlando is relying pretty heavily next year on young players and guys with injury histories. So that can that can take a turn. It can go well, but it can also take a turn. And they're like, okay, well, we gave you know we have we had our two highest paid players for this year are Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac. Neither one of them is what we hoped they would be. Mm-hmm. We can punt, and that's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's all for now. Uh, any thoughts on the exercise? Um, again, brain breaking, but lots mm-hmm. of fun. Uh, I'm curious to see how this goes. And of course, like we've mentioned all these young names, and there's going to be someone like like Trey Mann is going to turn into a 28 point per game guy, and it's going to nuke all of this. <laughs> so exactly, just, and though the the players, this is something that I bring up a lot, players who don't look good at 19, often we feel a lot differently at 21 because they have the they have those ebbs and flows. So how good you were as a rookie isn't necessarily the most important thing. It's the flashes and everything else. Yeah, and so they're. And that's what makes OKC the wild card with this because they are very bad and it doesn't look like they're trying a bunch. It's a lot of dart throws for them. But like if they do get two or three of those guys to hit, then it just kind of changes a lot for them. And they still have the pick capital to land another young stud or make a trade if they do want to just ramp up the winning all of a sudden. So that I, I guess we'll just have to see. Like, I, I don't know. The Thunder are an interesting group. The Thunder may have more variance in projected wins for the 23-24 season, like knowing what we know right now of any of any franchise. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's totally fair uh, because it could work and it could take a little bit more time. The other one that I would say kind of in that high variance category for me is Houston because mm-hmm. I could see it working. I could see, you know, Jalen Green takes a real step forward. They're going to get another pick this year. And also the Rockets will have spending power in 23. So going into this season so maybe they have a season where maybe they don't make the top 10 though they maybe they do and then they have this cap space they spend a lot on guys that are going to make them better raise their floor and then all of a sudden they're like a 40 45 win team they're like oh shit (laughs) but then there's also the possibility that it just takes a little bit longer and and even if you are excited it's not a worst case scenario even if you are excited it just takes a little longer yeah i think that's right Try to think about who else, who has high variance at the top. Miami, maybe, because like if they, I mean, I agree with you, they're extremely well run, but maybe they're like, hey, we can take a year or two and just be it. Maybe them. Philly, maybe, just because they're so dependent on on players that may or may not be healthy. Mm-hmm. Like, it would be those two. Like, I guess Indiana would kind of be the other one that I look at. Sure. Because I feel like they are, they are primed for a reset if they ever decide to do it. I thought about them for the bottom. I'm actually going to put them on my list too because I could see them trying next year and then pulling the pulling the plug for the following year. Yeah, like I think that's they're probably the wild card in the East for me. Like I mentioned Orlando, but as we mentioned on the Young Core episode, like I do like their Young Core. Um, so Indy's probably the one because we just have the Rick Carlisle things. Uh, we just popped those like, hey, no, I'm actually going to coach. I'm not trying to get to the front office. Let's kill these rumors. Like there there could be enough there to where things go haywire in a year or two. Sure. Totally good. 
thank you so much for taking the time. I don't know for Dunked on Prime subscribers, I don't know the exact timeline of what's coming over the next couple days. I want to do a kind of a catch up and preview, but I kind of want to see where things go to figure out what day that's going to be. It might be Friday night. It might be Saturday. Might talk a little bit about the games that have transpired as well, but I'm going to be kind of bouncing around the hoop summit. So we'll have to kind of see. But Thanks to Nikias. Uh, anything else you want to plug, promote beyond all your other stuff? You've done, you've done a lot of great work over the last, I mean, a whole year, but like recently as well. <laughs> really appreciate it. Uh, just the usual um, written words at basketballnews.com. Follow me on Twitter at NikiasNBA. Um, subscribe to the Dunker Spot and you late on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Um, other than that, stay safe, stay blessed. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.